I'd like to give the title for tonight's passage, the title dealing with doubt. How do you deal with doubt? Now, those who are skeptical towards Christianity usually have doubts that become barriers to belief for them. But it's not just unbelievers who have doubts when it comes to God. Believers can sometimes have doubts too. And in Psalm 73, what we've got is a believer who is honest enough to express his doubts. And he explains to us his crisis of faith. In fact, he had almost abandoned his faith altogether. And so this Psalm tells us the story of his journey from doubt through to full confidence in God. And so it's a psalm for all of us because it shows us that we can go to God with our doubts and questions because there's truth about God that we need to know. And when we know it, it will help us deal with doubts. The psalm falls into two parts. Uh, First of all, there's the problem, and that's in verse 1 to 14. So the problem is doubting the goodness of God. Secondly, there's the solution. And that's in verse 15 to 28. And the solution is affirming the truth about God. So the problem, doubting the goodness of God. And then the solution, affirming the truth about God. So let's look first of all at the problem, doubting the goodness of God in verse 1 to 14. The psalm was written by a man called Asaph. And we don't really know much about Asaph. All we know about him is that he was a leading singer and he was a musical director of God's people. We read about him in First Chronicles chapter 15 and 16. And so Asaph's songs would have been used in temple worship. And this song reveals so much about him as a person, about what he is like. He's somebody who doubts, he's somebody who struggles, and he is somebody who complains. Probably not exactly what you'd want for your musical leader in church, but there we are. He's being honest. But before we get to the problem, Asaph gives us his conclusion at the start. Essentially, verse one is his executive summary of what he wants to tell us. He says, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And that's the great truth of this psalm. That's the theme. Truly, God is good to Israel. God is good to his people. God is good. And Asaph now is absolutely convinced of this. And yet at one stage, he wasn't so sure if God was good. And he tells us why in verse two and three. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph was secure in what he believed, but he almost abandoned it all. Well, why? Because the wicked were prospering. And as he thought about it, he actually envied them. Now, to envy someone is to want their life. And so Asaph could see that those who didn't believe in God were getting on really well with life, whereas he did believe in God, but things weren't going so well for him. And so how could God really be good when life seemed so unfair? And it's like he's asking two questions. And the two questions are, why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to people? So the first question really comes up as 4 to verse 12. Why do good things happen to bad people? So he outlines the wicked who are healthy, they're wealthy, and they're happy. And then he tells us just how good life was for them. 
So verse four, they're healthy and good looking. When it says they're fat, that was a sign of being prosperous and well, less so for us today. Verse five, they seem to be immune from disease and disaster. Look at verse six, they're proud and they're violent. See verse seven, they're evil. Verse eight, they intimidate, they threaten and they oppress other people. They even boast about it, but they're never called to account for their crimes. Verse nine, they're arrogant. They shoot their mouths off at people. They boss people about, but they're never humiliated. In fact, they're popular. Look at verse 10. They have celebrity-like status. They're the ones who get promoted. They grab the headlines. They get all the followers on social media. People suck up to them and think their tweets are profound. But worst of all, says Asaph, is that they insult God. Verse 11, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? So he's saying they have no fear of God. They think God is impotent. They think God is irrelevant. They have no expectation that God is ever going to punish them. And Asaph just can't understand it. Look at how he sums it up in verse 12. He says, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And all of this, as Asaph looked at the people around about him, all of this made him doubt God and his goodness. How could God let them get away with violence and cruelty and even mock him, but still prosper? If God is good, why do good things happen to bad people? And then he asks this other question, why do bad things happen to good people? In verse 13 and 14, and here Asaph focuses on himself. Verse 13 and 14, he's asking, what is the point of me trying to live a good life when bad things keep happening to me? It's like he's saying, my faith in God isn't doing anything for me. And so the prosperity of the wicked wasn't just a moral problem for Asaph, it was personal. And so his words essentially unmask his heart for us. Because Asaph didn't just have a proper concern for justice, like we all do, Asaph also had a selfish concern for himself. Because he had obeyed God, not, it seems, necessarily to please God, but so that God would please him. Remember verse 3, he envied the arrogant, so he wanted what they had. And perhaps if he had it, maybe he wouldn't have felt so hard done by. And so he's complaining, because he'd lived a good life, but nothing good was happening to him. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we can be tempted to think the same, can't we? Of course, we care about the injustice in the world, but only in a very general way. And it's only when injustice impacts us that we question God and want him to do something about it. For example, we do care about the thousands of men and women and children dying for unjust reasons throughout the world. But the injustice isn't a big problem for us until it's someone in our family who dies. And we do care about the thousands of people who are dying of cancer or of COVID, but it isn't really a problem for us until it's our husband or wife or son or daughter or mum or dad. And we care about all the persecuted Christians today who are suffering for Jesus. But it's only an issue for me when my faith makes my life difficult. And we care about all the unemployment in the UK 
But it's only when I lose my job that it's unfair and I question God's goodness. You see, Asaph, like us sometimes, can doubt God's goodness and ask, why me? And we might not even say it out loud, but we can be thinking, why is this tragedy happened to me when I have been trying my very best in life to obey God and serve him. And isn't that what's at the heart of Asaph's doubts? He's hacked off because everybody else seems to be getting on better than he is. Everyone else seems to have been dealt a better hand in life than him. And he thinks it just isn't fair. And so he doubts God's goodness and he wonders whether following God is worth it after all. Surely living for God should bring health and wealth and prosperity, right? And isn't that what many people seem to think? But I don't think this is the bad theology that Asaph had been brought up to believe. And yet his doubts can shine a light on our own. Because when good things happen to bad people and when bad things happen to us, We can doubt God's goodness. And so we might serve God wholeheartedly in a way that involves great personal cost and sacrifice and yet be envious of all of our friends because they seem to be getting on better in life than we are. They might have the glittering career and the social status that we envy. They might have huge sums of money invested all over the place, hedge funds, Swiss bank accounts. They might have the flash cars and the driveway and the great property portfolio. They might have this tremendous retirement package and their children go to the best schools and they're members of the exclusive gyms and they always go on amazing holidays all around the world. And we can look at them like Asaph, scratch our heads and say, what's going on? I seem to be faithfully living for God. I seem to be making so many sacrifices. I'm doing so much but it doesn't seem to be anything for me. All I do isn't making my life any better. And yet, isn't such an incredibly self-centered approach to living like this uh, awful? Because if we're asking, does it really pay to be one of God's people or to be a faithful follower of Jesus, then we've never really grasped the gospel. In which case, we will doubt God's goodness to us. And that was Asaph's problem. He had measured God's goodness by looking around at the wicked people who had it so good when he seemed to have it so bad. And he had completely lost perspective. And it was only when he stopped looking around at other people and when he stopped looking inwards at himself and instead he looked upwards to God that he began to find true perspective. And so that's the first point, the problem. He was doubting the goodness of God. Secondly, there's the solution, and that is in verse 15 to 28, and that is he affirms the truth about God. So notice that Asaph has a turning point here in verse 15 to 17. Verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he realizes that it's wrong to speak in this way. And if he'd blurted it all out, he would have done a great deal of damage. Remember, he was a leader, a musician, a musical director of God's people in their worship. So it's like he's saying, this stuff isn't good for the kids to hear. And trying to make sense of it all seems to have given Asaph 
a headache, verse 16, a seer heed, as they say in Scotland. But he just couldn't figure it out. And that's why he needed to doubt his doubts about the goodness of God and instead affirm the truth about God. And so the turning point came for Asaph when he entered into the sanctuary of God. Look at verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. So it was the sanctuary that made all the difference. Entering into the sanctuary led him from doubt and despair through to a renewal of faith. It helped him get a proper perspective on life and everything else. He was able to see the greater and bigger picture of eternity rather than just his own small, limited and narrow view of life. And it was the difference between standing on top of a high mountain and being stuck away down in a valley. In the valley, you just can see what is around about you. But on top of the mountain, you get a far better perspective. And that's what happened when Asaph went into the sanctuary. And we don't actually know why he went into the sanctuary. Maybe it was his turn on the rota to lead the worship. And we don't know what happened when he got there either. And perhaps it was as the truth of God was read or taught or sung that the reality of who is and how God works and what God will do sunk into his heart in a deeper way. But whatever happened, it was in the sanctuary that he discovered the solution to his doubts. And that's why if we do ever have doubts or are in despair, staying away from God's people isn't going to help us. The sanctuary, or for us, the church, is where we must be to hear the truth about God. We need to hear God's word and worship with God's people in order to get a true perspective on life. Bailing out of church will only make things worse instead of better. And so if we're perplexed by God or his rule of the world or what's happening or we're doubting his goodness, then this psalm is instructive for us because we don't look around at the wicked with envy and we don't look inwards at ourselves with self-pity and we don't just give up in despair. We look upwards to God in worship because it's only as the truth about God is impressed upon our minds and it sinks into our hearts that we will be able to make sense of what is going on in our world and in our lives. And it seems as if Asaph made this discovery as he entered into the sanctuary. And so what then, what truths did Asaph discover or even rediscover there in the sanctuary? Well, three truths, I think. First, he discovered the truth about humanity. Then he discovered the truth about himself. And then he discovered the truth about God. So first, the truth about humanity, verse 17 to 20. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And so the wicked might prosper in this life, but their final destiny is very different. So even if it's that they've got it all down here in this world, they are on slippery grounds and heading for eternal destruction. Tim Keller in Daily Devotion on the Psalms says this of Asaph, he realizes that the rich without God are on their way to being eternally poor. The celebrities without God 
are on their way to being endlessly ignored. And so what we've got here is the truth that God will bring about ultimate justice for all the wickedness, sin and evil in the end. And our problem is that we can be short-sighted that we only live for today instead of living for eternity. And so we need to view life from eternity's perspective because the future for the wicked is very bleak indeed. There is illusory as a dream to God. They're like phantoms. And so they have no place with God in eternity. And that's hell. And there could be nothing more terrible for a person than to be ignored by God forever. Remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. And isn't that the truth about humanity? And this helped Asaph get through his doubts about the goodness of God. God will have his way with all humanity. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course he will. And so we must leave it with him. So he discovered or rediscovered the truth about humanity. He also discovered or rediscovered the truth about himself in verse 21 to 24. Asaph's visit to the sanctuary helped him learn what he was really like. And that's what happens, isn't it? When we encounter the living God through his word and by his spirit, we see ourselves for who we truly are. And it isn't always a pretty sight, is it? Because our sin is exposed and our wrong thinking is challenged. So verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, 22, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. So Asaph sees his bitterness for the ugly sin that it was. He was ignorant and he behaved like a brute beast. And so now he realized that he was bang out of order. God wasn't the problem. He was the problem. And it's only when he acknowledged that this was the case that he had a better understanding of his relationship with God. And he expresses that in 23 and 24. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. So despite his doubts, his bitterness and his ignorance, God still had a tight grip on his life. So Asaph nearly gave up on God. But God didn't give up on him. And so he can enjoy God in this life as well as look forward to being with God forever. And it is so true. We're looking at Daniel in church just now. It's so true that God's people will suffer in this life. But it shouldn't surprise us and it shouldn't cause us to doubt God's goodness. Why? Because Asaph tells us God has a glorious future in store for all who know him and love him. And so he discovered the truth about himself, the truth about humanity, the truth about himself, and he discovered or rediscovered the truth about God, verse 25 to verse 28. The truth about God is expressed by Asaph. So verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he had been envious of the wicked by wanting their health, their wealth, 
and their happiness. But here and now, all Asaph wants is God. His greatest desire is to be with God, whether in life or in death. Because the fact is that no matter how much of a success we make of this life, we are still going to die. A few years ago, I was at a funeral of an 18-year-old boy that I knew. And he had battled with cancer from the age of 11. And one of his friends at his funeral service read this psalm, Psalm 73. And they read it because in his Bible, uh, Peter, verse 26, he had underlined it in red and highlighted it. Because he knew his flesh would fail. He knew he would die young. But as he faced death as a young Christian, he held on to this truth about God. And while his body was riddled with cancer, he could say, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Because anyone who knows God knows that whatever their circumstances in this life, they have what matters more than anything else. Because there is nothing more important than being in a relationship with the God who made us. And Asaph learned this. And we just need to do the maths to learn it too. Because everything minus God equals nothing. But God plus nothing equals everything. Asaph knew this. Just look how he ends 27 and 28. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So can you see, Asaph had moved from a crisis of faith through to a clear profession of faith. Just look at the contrast between verse 2 at the start and verse 28 at the end. Verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Then 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. So can you see how he had moved from doubt through to absolute certainty about the goodness of God? And so, yes, life can be perplexing. But the psalm reminds us, truly, God is good to his people. And so it is good to be near God. It is good to be in the sanctuary. It is good to be with his people. It is good to listen to his voice. It is good to praise his name. And so how do we get near to God in the first place? Well, it's the gospel. We come near to God through Jesus Christ, because by nature, we are far away from God because of our sin. And of course, we all want God to judge the sin and the evil and the wickedness in our world. That's why we can echo so much of Asaph's emotion in the psalm about all the injustice that we see. But because God's justice is perfect, it means that God must judge us too. And the problem is that we deserve to be condemned. And yet God in his goodness and love 
sent Jesus into this world for us. Jesus came to die in our place so that on the cross, God judged and punished Jesus for our sin so that we could be forgiven and accepted by him. And so the only way to come near to God is by turning away from our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. And so if we have our doubts or if we despair with what is going on in this world or in our lives, we must remember the truth that God is good. And that's what's going to sustain us, whatever we face. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare his own, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God has given us Jesus. And with Jesus, everything we could ever need. And so we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is good. His goodness has been put on perfect display when Jesus hung on a cross. And so we know that God is good. Asaph said, truly, God is good. Can you say that? Can you say that this evening? Keep going back to the truth of what God has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ until you can. Let me pray. Thank you, our God, that you are good. We thank you for your goodness and love towards us, supremely displayed at the cross where Jesus died. We thank you that through Jesus willingly suffering and dying in our place, he took the penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven and restored to you, so that we might be near you. And when we have tasted the sweetness and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we thank you that being near you is the best thing in the world. So that even as we look around at the evil and wickedness in this world, we thank you, our God, that as the just judge, you will do what is right. And Jesus, when he returns, will put everything right and you will bring in that perfect everlasting kingdom that right now we can be part of. And so we pray that the truth of this psalm, the truth of your goodness would steady us even in the face of suffering. We pray that who you are, your character would enable us to look to you and trust in you and not look at the world around us in fear, but to have that strong faith because of what you've done in Christ for us. And so we give our thanks and our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.